At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Well, I love the Word of God. I know you do as well. I want to go back into the Word of God today. Last week, we launched a new series, and it's taking us today to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. So I want you to open up there, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. Now, the name of the series, I love this name, Fulfilled, and the subtitle of the series is His Promise Kept our longing met. His promise kept our longing met. Now, let me just say this. Uh, I know that uh, titles, series titles, are easy to forget. Like, if I quizzed you on what were the last four series titles, I think most of you guys would fail the quiz, right? And that's okay. Like, I'm not expecting you to remember all these titles. I doubt that many of you are here because you said, man, that church really has really sweet series titles, and so I need to join that fellowship. That's probably not why you're here. But yet there is something significant, and we do spend a lot of time thinking, how do we want to message out this series? Because there's something significant we're trying to communicate. And in the word fulfilled, there are two ways to define fulfilled. If you go to the Webster's Dictionary, two ways to define fulfilled. The first way to define fulfilled is a concept or promise that is developed to completion. A concept or promise that is developed to completion. The second way to define fulfilled is happy satisfaction. And that's exactly what we're trying to communicate. Both of those definitions. That, that Jesus is coming into the world. The coming of the Son of God into the world is the full development or completion of a promise that was made before it, was, before it took place. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why we believe this is a divine book like what you have in your hand, the Bible is not just some Barnes and Noble, New York Times bestseller type thing. Like you, you have the very word of God and that's a pretty bold claim. So Chris, how do you support that? Well, part of the reason we believe that is because over and over again, the Bible predicts and then fulfills, predicts and then fulfills like no other book that we have ever known, like no other book in the world. And so what we have in our hands, and we're going to even see it today. Like in the life of Jesus, there are over 45 prophecies that are fulfilled. And you may think in your mind, well, yeah, maybe he manipulated things so it looked like it was being fulfilled. No, it, it's stuff that you can't manipulate that's being fulfilled that was prophesied hundreds of years prior. How many thank God that this is the Word of God? Like, this is the Word of God. So, fulfilled... That's a promise kept. But we're also saying that in Christ, there's happy satisfaction. That in Christ, the deepest longing of our souls for acceptance, forgiveness, grace, mercy, salvation, all of that is found in him. Your soul is thirsty, but not for water. Your soul is hungry, but not for bread. 
It's hungry for a relationship with God, thirsty for a relationship with God. So you can take in all the partying in the world. You're, you're not going to be satisfied. You can go to all the sweet venues and, and vacation spots in the world. Still won't be satisfied. You get all the money in the world. Still won't be satisfied. Listen, talk to people who have tried to do it that way, and they will tell you they, they're just, just not satisfied. You need something that's going to quench the longing of your soul. And Jesus does that. He is the Prince of Peace and he comes and he gives peace and satisfaction. How many are happily satisfied in Jesus? All right. Now, with that being said, today we're gonna talk about greatness. How how is greatness experienced? How is significance experienced? Our text is gonna answer that. Now, every culture is enamored with that question from the beginning dawning of humanity to now. And one of the ways that you know how a culture defines significance or it, it believes it can experience greatness is by studying the arts and the entertainment of that culture. Now, if you study the arts entertainment of our culture. Let's just say the TV shows, the popular TV shows of our culture. What message are we sending? Shows like, for example, American Idol. How many are familiar with that little show, right? American Idol. It is sending a message to the world, to our culture, that the way you experience significance and greatness is through popularity. That likes and follows and fans are the way you're going to experience significance and greatness. Or or what about the show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Now, Now, here's the thing. It is communicating, subliminally, it is communicating a message to our culture that the way you experience significance and greatness is through the accumulation of money and possessions and things. Like, ultimately, that's what makes you great. Let me ask you, is that the way the Bible defines significance and greatness? Is that the way that the scriptures do? That's the question on the table today. And I'm going to argue today that that's not the way the scriptures define greatness. That the scriptures define greatness through relationship. That it's a relationship with someone great, namely Jesus, that makes us significant. That, That in Jesus... The least can be great, that the least of us can experience greatness in Jesus. And we understand this concept of somebody being significant because of who their relationship with. Like if your last name is is Rockefeller, the world is following you and interested in you, not because of who you are, but because of who you're connected to. Well, in similar fashion, when you are connected to Jesus, you go from being insignificant to being significant, but multiply by example by a million, a billion times over because Christ gives us eternal significance. Amen? All right, let's, let's look at what this text has to teach us about experiencing greatness or significance. And there's going to be three points I'm going to try to make. Two are the wrong ways to think about significance or greatness. And then one, we're going to land the plane on the right way of thinking about it. Let's look at verses one through six first. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for, uh, for so it is written by the prophet, O you, O Beth, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What a, what a wonderful introduction to the life of Jesus. So what we're reading here is, the, is, the, is not just the birth story of Jesus, but what happened in the days following his birth. And there is this, this king, this ruler, his name is Herod, and he gets word, he gets word that the, the king of Israel was to be born, that, that this, this one child who was born will grow up one day to be king of Israel, and he becomes so insecure, so nervous about it, that he goes on a manhunt to try to find this child so that he might uh, kill him. Now let me ask you, what would cause someone to become that, that insecure, that, that nervous about a future leader? Like, like, think about it for a moment. If you were to come back to me and say, hey, Chris, one, one of the kids running around the nursery today, running around uh, in our kids' ministry, will one day grow up and become the pastor of this church. Let me tell you, folks, I'm not going on a manhunt. Like, I'm not saying bring that kid to me now. Right? Think about it. The likelihood, in all likelihood, there are children who are alive today, running around today, who will one day grow up to be the future leaders of this country. They're like little kids right now, maybe three, four, five of them that are alive today that will one day be president of this country. And I hope that our current senators and, and congresspeople and president, hopefully that does not arouse such insecurity that they're saying, hey, put in jail all kids under the age of four, right? Like that would be a little bit crazy, but what would cause Herod to feel this way? It's because the one that this text is talking about is not just another leader in the succession of leaders. No, he is someone greater. You see, Herod that's spoken of here is one of six Herods that we read about in the New Testament. And I don't have time to go through all of them, but this one is the patriarch of them all. We know him as Herod the Great. He was appointed by the Roman emperor at that time to be ruler over a section of of the Roman Empire that included Israel. So he would have been ascribed by the emperor and the people this title, King of the Jews. It was, it was given to him and it would have been passed on to his successor after him. But now he's hearing that there is one who has been prophesied about hundreds of years prior that was coming, that was going to upset and unseat the political leaders and the political structure of his day. Now let me take you back to the prophecy because if you read the end of verse number five and the beginning of verse number six, it says, as, as is written in the prophet. Which prophet are you talking about? Let's turn to the book of Micah or at least listen to what I'm about to read because some of y'all don't know where Micah's at. And so if you're near the book of Revelation, you went too far. Um, it's in the Old Testament and if you need help, it's sandwiched in between Jonah and Nahum. 
That was a joke. Um, But verse number two, let's look at verse number two real quick. Verse number two, Micah chapter five, and it says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That phrase from ancient days can also be rendered from uh, the days of eternity. That this particular ruler has no beginning or no end. He has ascribed to him eternality. John put it this way in the opening of his gospel, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. This is the one that's being prophesied about here. This one who would come as as the son of God into the world to take from all earthly rulers the glory that is due to him alone. But it goes on to say that he's going to be coming from a small little city called Bethlehem. Remember that as I go on to verse number four. Look at verse number four. It says, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And isn't that true about Jesus? That he is great to the ends of the earth, that the nations praise him, that the world praises him. From one end of the world to the other, this is the ruler that Herod is nervous about, the one who would come to capture not just localized praise like some small Herod, but global praise like the one who is the Messiah, the Christ. And then the verse, the first part of verse five says, and he shall be their peace. And how many today thank God that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? How many praise God for the peace you have in a troubled world? We can have peace in Jesus. Now, one of the things that this teaches us, going back to Matthew chapter two, is that greatness is not based off of reputation because if it was, then Bethlehem was no city for a Messiah to be born in. Bethlehem, if if you've ever visited Israel, my wife and I had the privilege of visiting Israel for the first time last year. I would encourage you if you've never done that, that's a bucket list uh, type of thing that you, if, if afforded the opportunity, uh, should, should take advantage of. But one of the things that I remember about being in Israel is the proximity of these cities that we read about, how closely they are geographically to one another. Like you can stand on one of the, the high hills, the high mountains over there, and pretty much see all of the territory that Jesus and his disciples did ministry in. They're really closely related. It's a walking area or region of the world. Like I can picture in my mind, Jesus and his disciples walking from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It was not that long of a trip. And Bethlehem, as as great of a focus as Bethlehem is in our day, like the center of uh, Middle East conflict and the focus of global foreign affairs, it boasts of a population, this this one city of less than 76,000 people. 
Less than 76,000 people, and the whole world is focused on it. And why is the whole world focused on it? It's not because of its reputation. It's because of its relationship to Jesus. And that's no insult. It's just a reality that the relationship that it has to Jesus is why so many people want to see a city of less than 76,000 people. But I want you to understand the magnitude of this prophecy. 76,000 people is a current population, but if we were to rewind back to Micah's day, ancient Bethlehem had a boast of a population of approximately 300 people. Now, this is, this is the illustration I'm going to give you. Imagine if I stood up here and I said, the next great global leader is gonna come from the smallest city in Michigan. Now here's today's trivia question. What is the smallest city in Michigan by population? I Googled it for you. And the answer is Leland, Michigan, which boasts of 500 folks. Now shout out to me if you are from Leland, Michigan. That's what I thought. Like nobody in here is from Leland, Michigan. 500 folks live in Leland, Michigan. So imagine if I told you that there's a day that's coming when the greatest ruler this world has ever known is gonna come from Leland, Michigan and that that ruler is gonna be worshiped the world over, that that ruler will humble kings and nations, that that ruler will be the fulfillment of our deepest longings and he will fulfill the messianic prophecies of God, what would you say to me? But this, my friends, is the precision with which this book makes, makes prophecies and they are fulfilled. And you can argue all you want that Jesus somehow manipulated the prophecies, but there are certain things you can't control. Like, folks, you can't control if you're born of a virgin. You can try it, you can't control that. You can't control the city you're born in either. And Jesus comes, he checks every box, and I'm here to announce to you, he is the only one qualified to, be, to receive the worship that is due the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is Savior, he is Messiah, he is Lord, he is our salvation, he is the Lamb of God, and he is worthy of our praise. And Jerusalem... And Bethlehem and these cities are not great because of their reputations. And neither are we. Boasting and bragging, having likes and follows and fans. I don't care how many you think you have. That is not the pathway to greatness. Bethlehem is great for one reason, and it's because of its relationship to a great king. And his name is Jesus. So we have dispelled of the fact that you can be great based off of reputation, that that's where significance is found. Don't fall for that fool's gold. Don't believe that, right? Don't believe the American Idol lie. So let's look at the next way that we often say we can be great. Let's do our, our identity or achievement-ism or accomplishment-ism. 
Look at verse one again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Jump down to verse number seven with me. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After Listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Friends, one of the things that I love about this particular story is how everything conspires for the worship of Jesus. The Jews worship Jesus. But then there's these wise men from the east that represent the nations. They come to worship Jesus. But then there's this star in the heavens that has to submit itself to the sovereign plan of God. Friends, the heaven and the earth and all therein worship Jesus. Over every inch of created order, Christ declares mine. It's a beautiful thing seen in every verse of this text if we pay close attention. But there are a number of people that are talked about here. Herod, he's a king who um, has some sense of this story about Jesus, but doesn't know enough. He's no theologian, so he has to call all of the chief priests and the scribes to come before him and say, hey, what does your studies tell you, the Bible scholars of the day, about where this uh, child will be born? And also tell me when, because he's trying to calculate how old this child might be at this point. And he ultimately comes to a place where he says, hey, the child might be somewhere between zero and two, and so let me just kill every child under the age of two in this city called Bethlehem. That's how it works itself out. And, the, and these, these wise men, we don't know much about them, these wise men from the east. As a matter of fact, much of what you might picture in your mind comes from Christmas stories and tales that have been uh, told over the years, like this assumption that there's only three. We don't know how many they were. We know there are three gifts, but there could have been uh, many of them. And, and, they, and they came from Persia. We do know that what is currently uh, Iran, and they were a part of a priestly cast. But here's the thing that I find interesting. The best way to describe these guys is that they are astrologers. And it's as if God is saying, your astrology won't be able to satisfy you, but let me use that to lead you to the one who will ultimately satisfy you. I want to use this star to get you to a Messiah who will satisfy you. And isn't that what God says about all the world's religions? Like none of them are going to ultimately satisfy you, but I can use the brokenness of this world to ultimately get you to the place where you are seeking a savior who will ultimately satisfy you and rescue you. What our souls are looking for are not found in the stars per se. It's not found in secularism. It's not found in our own earthly religions. It is found in Jesus. And what God does in his mercy is he gets these astrologers to a Messiah who can save them. And they were willing, humble enough, wise enough to, to submit to that plan of God. But you would think in this story, like, okay, who's the greatest character here? Surely it has to be Herod. And it's like, nope, not Herod. 
His resume is not good enough. Well, maybe it's these wise men. Nope, not the wise men. No, uh, all of them, all of them will bow their knee to Jesus, and so will we, either now or later, but we all will bow, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. How many are happy to do that? How many are happy to do that? But, but friends, it's not your resume that saves you. I just want to give you this illustration. When you stand before God, imagine standing before God on the day of judgment, and that is coming, by the way. The Bible tells us of that. Uh, imagine standing before God, and he says to you, why should I let you in heaven, right? And you say, uh, hold on one, one second. Let me uh, pull out my resume. <laughs> He's not going to be impressed. Let me just tell you, one of the things that... Uh, that's, that's uh, typical of this season is that typically uh, my brother and his family that's relocated now down south, but typically we, his family, my family, we get together with my parents for, uh, for Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner, one of the two. And uh, now we host, but it used to be my mom used to host. And one of the things that she used to love to do periodically is pull out these photo albums of all of the photos and certificates of our that she's been keeping since we were kids. Like, my mom has kept everything. Like, every certificate of participation when I was in a Little League All-Star game. And you would think that she, she was so proud of it, you would think that it was like I was voted king of the world. She's bringing this stuff out and thinking in her mind, like, my kids are going to be impressed. And, and trust me, they are not impressed at all. They're laughing at the pictures of me with glasses, big heads, small ears. That's all they're caring about, right? That's, that's all they see. Listen, but my mom thinks that that stuff is like gold. So imagine me standing before Jesus, and he's saying to me, why should I let you in heaven? And I pull out all my mom's photo albums. <laughs> I say, Jesus, my mama think I should get in. Right? He's not going to be impressed with the photo albums. He doesn't care that I was on a Little League All-Star game. It's not that impressive to him that I got a certificate of participation in the sixth grade science fair. Collect all your honor roll certificates you want. Amass all your degrees. Accomplish all your corporate accomplishments. But achievism, accomplishmentism, those type of things, you cannot earn your way to salvation. As a matter of fact, the gospel starts with this premise that we cannot earn it. But a merciful, loving, compassionate God condescended down to our level and he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> Praise God, I can get off the hamster wheel. I'm trying to impress you. I'm trying to impress me. And I can just accept the only one who is impressive has come that I might be saved. So if I cannot be saved through identity, and, I, and greatness is not based off of identity, and greatness is, is not based off of reputation, how do I experience significant and greatness? Well, verse number six and verse number 11. Verse number six, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That is the question, is he your shepherd? Can you say like the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Have you submitted yourself as one of his sheep and said, Lord, lead me? Have you been able to say to the Lord, your rod and your staff, they comfort me? Have you been able to say to the Lord, I can't lead myself, I need a shepherd? But what about verse number 11? Verse number 11 says this, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Have you worshiped the king? Have you opened up your treasures and said to him, I want to give you all of me for all of you? And you may say, I don't have much gold, Chris. I don't have any frankincense and I don't even know where myrrh is. And that's all right because you don't have to have all of that figured out, but you do have a heart. Have you given him that? You do have lips and breath and your lungs. Have you offered that in worship to him? You, you do have hands. Have you given him the works of your hands and said, all of me for more of you? Have you said, Lord, take everything so that I might have everything in you? Today, I want you to know that peace has come, that joy has come, that love has come because Christ has come. And you don't have to be an American idol and you don't have to be on who wants to be a millionaire. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is who he says he is. All you have to believe that he is the son of God, the Christ who was prophesied about, that he is the Messiah, that he is the only one worthy of praise. And if you believe that like I believe that, then heaven can be your home because Jesus will be your Lord and he will rescue you from your sins. And how many believe that that is worthy of all of our worship and all of our praise today and forevermore. Stand with me all over this church. Today, I pray that you will see that the greatest gift given to humanity is not an Xbox. Like, I'm trying to convince my, my kids of that. Like, listen, uh, my kids have given me not just hints about what they want from Christmas. We're at the stage of full-blown recommendations. Like, Dad, we know you're slow. Here's the list, right? And I just want them to know, like, hey, you're going to get some stuff. But I hope you know that the Xbox is not like the greatest gift known to man. And, and for the 16-year-olds out there, I just want you to know, don't be fooled by those commercials with the car out front with the bowl on the top. That ain't happening. That, that is not. We got too much bills for that to happen. It's not going down that way. But the greatest gift known to man is the Son of God. And guess what? I got good news. I got an announcement. The tomb is empty. He is alive. He is resurrected. King of kings, Lord of lords, worthy of praise. And today, today, if you will give your heart to him, you can know the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, I ask that today would be the day of salvation for someone that we don't have to wait till December 25th or any other day. Today, we can put our faith in you. And Lord, for those who are watching online, I pray that someone would be motivated to just type connect so that they can 
take their next step in their journey with Jesus. For those who are in this room, they wouldn't even leave to the lobby without stopping at the front here and praying with somebody saying, I want to give my life to Jesus because I need what only he can offer. Lord, we give you all of who we are. Take it all for your glory. And all God's people with a loud voice said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.